I'm in a very fortunate position, or I consider myself to be so. I've never had to join the army. I've never had to fight in a war. I've never had to take up arms. I've never had to use a weapon. All my experiences of war, I have to say, have been quite sanitized. I see pictures on the news. I see bombings. I see statistics. But it's so, so far away. I consider myself very fortunate. It seems that in this country, the whole thing about war, about fighting, is sanitized to a degree that actually we lose the meaning of it. And it's somewhat incongruous, I think, that our younger people spend, a lot of them anyway, so much of their time playing video games that almost glorifies violence and war. And yet there's people out there, hundreds and thousands, millions, giving up their lives for real. If we could have the slides, please, Richard. I wonder what you were thinking about as we held that two-minute silence. What was going through your mind? Were you praying for forgiveness? Were you thinking perhaps of a loved one close to you who'd lost their life? Were you wondering, what is all this about? I played that poem that I hope you found really poignant at the start, John eleven thirty five. In case you didn't get it, John eleven thirty five is the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. The two words are Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now the turn to it if you'd like in your Bibles. I'm not going to read the uh, um, the whole the whole passage, but the story is of Jesus hearing that one of his closest friends, a man called Lazarus, was seriously ill. Now, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and clearly that family was very, very special to Jesus because we hear a lot in the New Testament about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But despite the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus so much, he hung back for two days. And in that time, Lazarus died. And Jesus then went to visit the family, and as he approached the family, he saw them mourning, and they came rushing to him and uh, said, it's too late, he's dead. And Jesus saw them crying. And then we hear that verse, Jesus wept. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, why did Jesus weep? Because if you look carefully at the story, there's two occasions before he cries that he promises that Lazarus is not going to die. He's actually going to, well, he is going to die, but he's going to be raised again. On two occasions, he promises his disciples and he promises the sisters So why would Jesus weep if he knew that Lazarus was going to come back to life? 
Why would he weep if he knew that God was going to be glorified through this immense miracle? It's a tough one. And I think there's three reasons, and I think those three reasons are really important as we look at our act of remembrance. Next slide, please. So the first one is, Jesus feels our pain. He saw those sisters crying. He saw the people around, the close friends and family, and he saw their sorrow, and he cried with them. And you know, Jesus sees our sorrow today in this world. And he sees the the loss, he sees the pain, he sees the violence, he sees the murder, the killing. And he weeps for us. And when times feel hard for us, we need to remember that verse, John 11.35, Jesus wept. The second reason why I think Jesus wept was because what Jesus was seeing was not the way it was supposed to be. When God created us, he didn't create us to die. He created us to live. Adam and Eve, he gave the tree of life to them. And it wasn't until they disobeyed that God said, you can't have that anymore. I'm going to ban you from the Garden of Eden. And actually, the result of your sin is that you will now die. So when Jesus saw the death of Lazarus, he wept because this is not how it was supposed to be. This was not God's plan. And you know what? War is not God's plan. Suffering, death, killing, sorrow, is not God's plan. Jesus wept because it's not how it was supposed to be. And then thirdly, I think Jesus wept because our sin breaks God's heart. Now, if you read on a little bit in that passage, despite the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus back to life in a most miraculous way. He'd been dead for four days. He was starting to go off. He was stinking. And yet Jesus brought him back to life. And you would have thought that as a result of that, there was such immense praise and and sudden belief of who Jesus was. It's not the normal thing, is it, for somebody to be brought back to life? You know, they would go, surely, wow, this is God. But if you read on from verse 53 in John 11, you'll see there were a number of people from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So here was Jesus who'd raised somebody from the dead and yet a whole group of people said, we're going to kill him. And I think that's the third reason why Jesus wept because he saw that even though he performed these miracles. Even before, he, even though he spoke the truth into their lives, they didn't want to believe. And they wanted to kill him. It breaks Jesus' heart, it breaks God's heart to see a world that will not listen to him. It breaks his heart 
see a world that fights, that kills, and that ignores him. Jesus wept. But you know, the great thing is that Jesus came that all this will be wiped out. Jesus came that if we choose to follow him, we don't need to know death. We can know life. We're going to sing a song now, just before we move into our time of intercessory prayer. The words of this are just so beautiful because they speak of Jesus being there for the times of our joy, yes, for the times of our sorrow. We have Jesus for this. I consider myself to be in a very fortunate position. I've never had to fight in a war. I've never had to join the army. I've never had to take up arms or fire a weapon. Or have I? See, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read it, if you want to turn to it. Ephesians six twelve, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that tells us that even though we might experience a kind of earthly struggle, a struggle against war, against sickness, disease, loss of loved ones, actually our real struggle is in the heavenly realms. And that passage goes on, and we'll look at it in a a little while, that if we're Christians, we have to join an army. We're in an army. We have to put on armor. We have to take up arms. We have to fight in that war that's going on in the spiritual realm. So whilst we might not be in an army, an earthly army, we most certainly are in a spiritual army. Jesus gave his disciples quite a serious warning. He said, don't fear the one that can destroy just your body, but fear him who can destroy both your body and your soul. Our real enemy is not earthly wars that can destroy physical lives, Our real battle, our real enemy, is against the one that can destroy our temporary earthly life and our eternal life, our eternal destiny with Jesus. We're told in Ephesians, our struggle is against the powers and the authorities of the heavenly realms. What on earth are those? I think the best picture that I can see in the Bible of some of the battles that are going on in the heavenly realms is in the account of Daniel 
when he's praying to God that God would speak to him. Speak into his particular circumstance and give him guidance. And God's response to Daniel's prayer was to send him an angelic messenger. To send one of these powers of the heavenly realms to come and speak directly into Daniel's situation. And I read a few verses from Daniel chapter 10. And this is the angel speaking. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, what on earth is going on here? This is an angel coming to visit Daniel, but he says that he is being constrained and resisted by the prince of Persia. Of course, we're not talking about the physical prince of Persia, the earthly prince. We're talking about powers and principalities, authorities in the spiritual realm. Here was an angel sent by God, but an opposing demonic power, authority, was resisting God's work, was resisting God's messenger, holding him back from coming to meet with Daniel. And yet, because of Daniel's fervent prayer and fasting, God sent Michael, one of the, described, one of the chief angels, sent Michael to help in that struggle, to break through in the heavenly realms and allow this angelic messenger to come and give Daniel what was such a wonderful message. Such a wonderful message. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these powers and authorities in the principle, in the, uh, in the heavenly realms. Another example. I don't know if any of you have read um, Billy Graham's book, Angels. Quite an old book, probably about 40 years old now, but uh, um, wonderful um, kind of analysis and, and look at what the Bible says about the heavenly realms. And in that, there's a, a story of a missionary the Reverend John G. Patton, who was a pioneering missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. And he told, and I'll read from the book, he told a thrilling story involving the protective care of angels. Now, there were hostile natives surrounding uh, Reverend Patton's mission headquarters one night, and they were intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. John Patton and his wife prayed all during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably the attackers had left. They thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus Christ, and Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Well, who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary answered, 
There were no men there, just my wife and I. The chief argued that there'd been many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hand. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. The chief agreed that there was no other explanation. Could it be that God had sent a legion of angels to protect his servant whose lives were being in danger? Wonderful story. And do you know, again, here's Reverend Patton and his wife praying earnestly for protection. And uh, the difference that that made in the heavenly realms that God heard their prayers and sent angels to protect them. Do you know, if only we could understand and only see through God's eyes as to where the real battle is and pray into that, what a difference that would make, wouldn't it? What a breakthrough it would be if we can actually go directly to the source of what the struggle is and release the powers that God wants to release in those heavenly realms. Now, if you read on in Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God, but it finishes up with a plea to pray, pray, pray. Pray constantly, pray for the saints, pray in all circumstances. There's a hymn that says, Stand stand up, stand up for Jesus, that says, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. You know, we're called to be a fighting people. Not fight in the, uh, uh, the earthly world. We're told to be, be peacemakers in the world. We're told to um, look out for those that need help, to care for them, not to fight. But we are told to take up arms, take, put on the armor and fight in the heavenly realms because that is where the real battle is. We need to know the enemy. And, you know, Jesus told his disciples, there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars. All these things must happen. Why? Because they're prophesied as happening. They must come to pass in order for Jesus to come again. So we should not be surprised that there will be wars. There will be killing tragic though it is but we must know who the real enemy is and we must pray into that pray like your life depends on it because it absolutely does fear him who can destroy body and soul not just your physical life and we'll be remembering next week as we look at our secret church engaging with the persecuted church. We'll be looking at actually those who, I guess, really understand this whole situation. They know that actually worshipping God, it's not about protecting their physical earthly lives. It's about being faithful, praying through, and standing firm in who they are in Jesus Christ. Because that has eternal consequences. Now, the fantastic thing is that even though now, as a Christian, I realize that I am in a battle, and I do have to put on armor, and I do have to take up arms, actually, the battle is won. 
I'm not in a fight where I don't know what the outcome is going to be. You see, I've read the end of the book. I know what happens. Let me give you an analogy. I don't know if, um, if you ever watch Match of the Day, all you who are sports fans, and if you've ever missed a football match during the afternoon and you're looking forward to watching for real that kind of highlights and you don't want anybody to tell you what the score's going to be so that you can properly enjoy the match. Been in that situation? Yeah. Well, back in uh, 2011, and uh, apologies, well, no apologies actually for picking the example, but there was a, uh, a match between Newcastle United and Arsenal. And it was a really big match for Newcastle United fans. And I had not had the chance to look at the scores, and I wanted to watch Match of the Day to see what went on. And one of my friends rang me up and said, good result for Newcastle. (laughs) For heaven's sake. But anyway, he didn't tell me what the score was. So I watched the match. Arsenal 1-0. Arsenal 2-0. Arsenal 3-0. Arsenal 4-0 after about 26 minutes. Was my friend winding me up here or what? Was there sarcasm in what he'd been saying? Match three quarters of the way through. We're into the last half of the second half. Newcastle pull one back. Second one back. Third one back. Fourth one back. It's 4 Oh, Fantastic. And here's where the analogy breaks down, because it did end a draw. <laughs> but, but I had to use that example. Anyway, the, the point was that you can probably imagine my emotions as we were going through that match. At half-time, to be 4 nil down, it felt a pretty bad place to be. But I clung on to the fact that somebody had said, good result for Newcastle. Now, I don't know what it's like for you right now in your life. Maybe you've lost loved ones in the war and you've been remembering that today. Maybe you've lost loved ones to sickness, illness. Maybe you're going through a really tough time at work, in your families. Maybe you're wondering, where is God in all this? Do you know what? I've read the end. Jesus promises that in heaven there'll be no more sickness, no more death. It'll be joyful. If heaven was anything less than that, it wouldn't be heaven. You will not be disappointed in heaven because the battle is won. It might feel like we're losing at times. It might feel like we're 4-0 down. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Praise God for that. So on this day of remembrance, even though it's a kind of somber occasion when we remember those that have um, given up their lives for us, let's remember especially that Jesus gave up his life. Not just that we can have freedom here and now, but that we can have life in eternity with God.
Amen.